Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 26. And if you have a bobby pen or a paper clip or something, pin up 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where we'll, we will be most of the time. We will take a three-week break from Ruth, and we will have two messages on the Lord's Supper and then partake of the Lord's Supper on the 25th. And we will get back to Ruth after that. But for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the details of the Lord's Supper and the demeanor for the Lord's Supper, and that will be next week, the demeanor for the Lord's Supper. And so if you're in Matthew 26, we will be there in just a minute. There was a man named Roger Rose, and he tells of his family's sorrow that they once experienced. They had a dirt road next to the house, and it was a dirt road that cars would go down, but you could lay out in that road for three hours and just take a nap, and most likely you wouldn't see a car. It was rare, rare that a car would pass by. And, and so Roger's younger brother was crossing that road on his bicycle one day, and, and a car came roaring over the hill, one of those rare things, and it, and it hit the boy, and it was a fatality. It killed that boy, and... And so Roger's dad went out in the street to, to grab that bicycle later on after everything had taken place. And, and for the first time, Roger heard his dad and saw his dad crying. And he took that bicycle and he, and he took it over to the barn and he set it in an area of the barn that they never used, that was just kind of dormant, just kind of a dead corner for them. And he put that bike there. And, you know, God did some healing work on the family and they were making some progress and doing good. But every now and then Roger's dad would go out in the barn to do some work and every now and then that bicycle would catch his eye and he would, he would just fix himself on that bicycle. He would be silent and he would be still and tears would stream down his face. And Roger, seeing this year after year, had a prayer that he made to the Lord, and that was, Lord, help, help my heartfelt desire and focus and remembrance of your death for me to be just the same. You know, may the, may the Lord's Supper, may it be something that never come, becomes routine, may it never be just a formality to us, but may our hearts be truly sincere and prepared when it comes time for the Lord's Supper. May His death stir our hearts in such a way that, that it is just a, a very sincere time for us as we partake of the bread and as we partake of the fruit of the vine. These things that Jesus used as He used illustrate illustrations so many times in teaching His Word. The Lord has always been symbolic, we find throughout His Word, uh, with things that relate to His truth. And that's what the Lord's Supper is designed to do in the things that we see and the symbolism that we have, that we be mindful and we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us with His broken body and His shed blood pictured in the bread 
and in the grape juice as we partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of our two ordinances that we observe here in the church, the other one being baptism. You might call baptism a picture of our life in Christ. You might call the Lord's Supper a picture of His death, sacrificing in our place for you and I. So tonight, just two points on the Lord's Supper, on the details of the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about its start, and we're going to talk about its specifications. So in Matthew chapter 26, as we look at the start in verse 26, let us read. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So this is our record that we have of the first observance of the Lord's Supper. It's also the record of the one who instituted the Lord's Supper, our Lord Jesus Christ. We also have the timeline of this first institution of the Lord's Supper that we have in record. It was the evening before our Lord Jesus was crucified. We have the materials, if you will, that were used for the Lord's Supper. We have the bread, and we have here the grape juice. And these two things provide the illustration for this great sacrifice that the Lord was about to make for us. The Lord's Supper is a very serious ordinance. It's a very sincere ordinance. It's very important. And there are precise specifications when it comes to this ordinance that you and I partake of. So now that we see it start, we're going to go through several things that we'll call the specifications of the Lord's Supper. And we see those things in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the first thing we're going to look at is the remembrance. I mean, why do we observe the Lord's Supper? Well, Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. And that's simple enough for us to know right there why we observe the Lord's Supper. It's to be a remembrance of Him. It's to be a memorial, if you will. It's a symbolism, one of the few symbolisms that we share here. You know, there are many material things throughout the world and of people in the world that have been made a memorial. You might consider, you know, Mount Rushmore with the faces of Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln and Roosevelt. Or maybe you might consider the Washington 
monument in D.C., which was built for, you know, the first president. And there is no higher structure in D.C. by law than that Washington monument. And that's the way it will be. And then you have the Statue of Liberty and all it stands for in New York City. And we could go on and on with different monuments and different memorials that we have in this world or in this nation. But the greatest, most honorable remembrance that you and I will ever have is the greatest love ever shown to us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The fact that He gave His life for every single one of us, that He willingly laid it down as a gift to us that we might have eternal life. There's, there's no greater thing to have as a memorial. It only makes sense that we have a service that would reflect and have us to remember and have us to constantly be refreshed of the greatest love that has ever been shown to us in the fact that Jesus Christ laid down His life for the sheep. There's nothing more inspiring for us than this love that every single one of us are offered, that this love every single one of us can experience because of the event of the crucifixion. We ought to continually remember it. And we ought to continually remember it together as a church in this blessed sacred ordinance that we have. So there's why we observe the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. So we have remembrance. But then something else is the representatives. I mean, what do we observe the Lord's Supper with? Well, there's two things that we have that we observe the Lord's Supper with. And that's unleavened bread and that's the fruit of the vine. Look with me in verse 23 and 24 at the unleavened bread. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The bread of this sort, as history would tell us, in the way they made it, it was about as thick as a typical thumb. And it was about as big as a typical plate, or maybe even a platter. And it was very rarely, if ever, cut. The bread wasn't cut, but it was broken off. And this bread is symbolism of the broken body of Jesus Christ, broken for you and I. And this bread, it was made from unfermented dough. It didn't have any yeast in it. It wasn't in such a way that it, that it couldn't represent the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. It did represent His sinlessness. There was no leaven in the bread. Matthew 26, 17 speaks of this unleavened bread. But we not only have the unleavened bread, we have the fruit of the vine, and we can read that together in verse 25. It says, after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 
Now the contents of this cup was grape juice. When you look in the original Greek language and you look up that word wine, you will find a definition of wine and you will find a definition of the fresh fruit of the vine. Some people said, well, that's just what Baptists say. Well, no, that's what the Word of God says. That's what the studying of that language says. So, you, so we have to look into the context to find which is being spoken of. Is it talking of the fermented, uh, rotted wine? Or is it speaking of the fresh fruit of the vine, the grape juice? You have to look into the context. And as we look into what's being said here... Go with me now. There was no yeast in the bread, okay? There was no fermenting, you know, for the, for the bread situation. And there was no fermenting of this fresh fruit of the vine. You know, a definition for fermenting or a, the process of fermenting is rotting. And, okay? And, and there wasn't something that was rotting and rotted for us to partake of in this ordinance. When something is fermented, that means it's been broken down by bacteria, or it's something that's been broken down by yeast, or it's been broken down by microorganisms, and it has become rotten in that process. Neither the bread nor the fruit of the vine were as such. It was unleavened bread, and it was the immediate fresh fruit of the vine. And the fruit of the vine represented our sinless Savior's blood who was shed for the remission of our sins. It sure seems to fit, doesn't it, in, in the lack of fermenting of these things. So we not only have the two representatives, though, in the Lord's Supper. What, what do we observe the Lord's Supper with? Well, we see we have the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. But now let's look at the regularity. As in, you know, when do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Look with me in verse 26. It says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. We, we have two ordinances we observe, and one is baptism. And baptism is not to be repeated. Now, understand that there are false professions of faith. And what qualifies one to be baptized is that they must first be a believer. So when I was up in East Texas at 16 years old, and I don't know what was going on with me and what kind of draw was on my life, but, but I did have a thought. I only went to that little country Baptist church in East Texas because of a little girl that was there in the church, and I thought she was cute, so that's why I went up there. Her dad didn't like me. I, I went anyway, stubborn little punk, 16-year-old. But I did have this thought at the end of the service. I, I'm not going to name my friends' names. Who knows who might look me up and listen. But I hung around with some guys, and I had this thought. I was going, my, my family was broken up, and we were having problems. And so that's why I went to East Texas. I didn't want to go when I went. And, man, I didn't want to come back when I came back from East Texas. But I knew I was, and I had this thought. I don't need to be hanging around those same guys I was hanging around when I moved up here. So I walked up to the preacher and I said, can you pray for me that when I go back to Houston, I don't hang around with those people that I was hanging around with. And he didn't really acknowledge what I said. He said, son, have you ever been saved? 
And long story short, I answered every question right one way or another. I mean, you don't even have to know. You just don't want to feel like a heathen so you know how to answer the questions. It just kind of comes out. And, and so, you know, he went off in a d- different direction. And, and I don't know if some, some convention or some association was looking at his numbers and he was trying to get one a tally mark for that church, or, or maybe it was just him and the pressure of no one being saved, and, and he tried to save me. I've tried to save people before, and it doesn't work. Only the Lord saves. And so I was no more saved than, than any other dead man in his sins. And so therefore, when he baptized me that night before I went back to Houston, 16 years later, the Lord saved my soul. And, and that baptism didn't qualify because you must first be a believer. I don't know why I went into all that, but, but baptism is not a, a continual thing. It's not something to be repeated except for a situation like I had or some that you have had here. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, it is a repeated ordinance. It is something that is to take place and, and it goes on and on with the church. But, but here's the question. How often should we partake of the Lord's Supper? How often should this happen? Somebody witnessed to uh, someone they ran into and um, invited them to church. And they said, what denomination are you? And uh, they were told Baptist. And they said, well, no, I can't go to church with you because you can't fulfill my spiritual needs because the Bible says to take the Lord's Supper as often as you can. And, and y'all don't do that, so I can't go to your church. And boy, they really told it like it was. The only problem with it is that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says nothing about the frequency of taking the Lord's Supper. Right there in verse 26, it says, For as often as, okay, as often as, that means whenever. That, that has nothing to do with doing it often. It's just a, a, a way of speaking, as often as you do this. You know, if I, t- if I told somebody, well, as often as you, you go to Pizza Hut, you know, you ought, you ought, to, you ought to bring me a pizza every now and then. Well, well how often is that? It, it could be any length of time. I may have never been to a pizza parlor, so once a year is often uh, as far as it's coming out of my mouth. It means whenever you take of the Lord's Supper. The Bible gives no interval of time. It gives no schedule. It gives no frequency for taking the Lord's Supper. There is no importance placed on a certain amount of times or a certain distance in between times. It doesn't say. What it does say of importance about the Lord's Supper is that you are showing the Lord's death when you partake of it. That's the important thing that we see here. As often as you take it. Whenever you take it. So there's the regularity of when do we take the Lord's Supper. There, there's no when. There's no certain amount of time. But let's go from the regularity to the range. Because where, where are we to take the Lord's Supper at? Where are we to observe this ordinance that we partake of? Well, in verse 18 and in verse 20 and in verse 33, you will find the same phrase all three times. When you come together. The Lord's Supper 
is not a lonely ordinance. In other words, it's not for Lone Ranger Christians. It's not for people to, a few people to go off by themselves and to go by these elements and to just a couple of, a Christian here, a Christian there, a Christian over there, just gather together and take the Lord's Supper. It's, it's not to be taken in the hospital. It's not to be taken in jail. You understand? Whenever you gather together, when you come together, this is the time to observe the Lord's Supper, when the Lord's Supper, when the members meet for the Lord's Supper. It's not, it's not a personal thing as far as to do it alone and individually. The only scriptural support that you and I will find in the Word of God where the Lord's Supper may be taken is in the assembly of the church. When the church is assembled together, that is the authorization for Christians partaking of the Lord's Supper. Well, let's look at a rank now. Because who? Who is to observe the Lord's Supper? There's something that every Christian will agree on. And that is, there are restrictions to the Lord's Supper. Every Christian everywhere will agree on that because they agree that the unsaved aren't to partake of the Lord's Supper. But the question is, concerning these restrictions, how restricted is it? Because we can talk about three different views on restrictions concerning the Lord's Supper. Because some would say open communion. Open communion, some believe that any child of God, that any person that professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can partake of the Lord's Supper. I, I know a church in a town not too far from here, and they do a candlelight service every Christmas. They've done it for years. I've never attended it, but I've, I've heard that they've done it for years. And in the last recent years, they have incorporated taking the Lord's Supper in their candlelight service. Now understand, this is a service where they promote it throughout the whole community for a few weeks, and it's a community outreach thing that they do, and they bring in anyone who would like to come in and be a part of their candlelight service. And they say, if you're a child, I, I don't know how they say it, but basically, if you're a child of God, you can partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going, to, we're going to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and if you're saved, you can do so. That's open communion. And then there's close communion. And that would be those who say, if you're of the same denomination, I don't know how they might word that, you know, right there in the service, you know, hey, if, if you're a Baptist, you're good to go, and you can take it. But any other denomination, you, you didn't make the cut. And look, I, I'm sure they, they have a sweet way of trying to word that, but it just sounds awkward to me. And uh, that's not what I believe. That's not what this church believes. Not open communion, not close communion, but closed communion. Closed communion is only for members of the church. And when we talk about the church, we're not talking about the body of Christ throughout the world. We're talking about the church as defined as we find it in the New Testament. The church as in a local 
called out assembly of believers. That's the closed communion qualifications for partaking of the Lord's Supper. For a, a called out assembly of one church. By the way, as we think about the church that was being written to here, the church at Corinth, I mean, that was one church that was being written to. They were writing to a local called out assembly of believers, you know, and, and so that's who it's for. If you go in this same book and you go back six chapters to chapter five, you will find the, in, the instructions that's given from the Lord for church discipline in the church. Now, now what if we said that, that the church was going to discipline guests of the church? That would not fly with any of you because, because they are not members of the church. You wouldn't say that that, that would be okay to, to discipline a guest of the church who has not united in membership with this church. That doesn't make any sense at all. And, and connect something with me here because uh, a discipline issue, that would be related to behavior. And what we're going to find out next week is that behavior is something that is very, very important concerning our partaking of the Lord's Supper and what manner we do it in, okay? So, so therefore, with the responsibility that the church has, how could a, a believer that would come into, let's say, Lakeway is observing the Lord's Supper and a believer comes in, but they're not a member of the church. Look, we don't know their life. We don't know their standing. The church has authority and the church has a responsibility with the members of the church in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Now, we can't be responsible for a guest. Someone once told me, well, I'm a child of God. What's wrong with me being able to take the Lord's Supper? Well, be united with the church as the Lord would have us to do. And that's the qualification for, for partaking of the Lord's Supper. We don't know the behavioral issues or the manner of life of, of someone else. And speaking of those things, that's going to come up in the second part of this series next week as we talk about uh, the demeanor for the Lord's Supper. The church know the, knows the lives of its members, though. And the church has responsibility concerning the partaking of the Lord's Supper. So that's something to be thankful for that that's that's good when the church is involved concerning the lives of the members and that's good when the preacher cares or a fellow christian cares about another one because it's very important the the taking of the lord's supper here all right so the lord's supper is closed communion for baptized believers who are members of a particular church, the church that is observing the ordinance, and that the member be in right standing and fellowship with the church, and that they have examined themselves. You know, I, I heard of a church that every Sunday morning they take a minute, a minute like a moment of silence, and for any member of the church to confess their sins. If they haven't already done so before service starts, we 
Don't want to be hindered from worship by, by something left undone in our lives that, that shouldn't be. So there's the examining of ourselves, and we'll talk a lot about that last next week, concerning sin in the lives and the need to confess sin and the need to forsake sin in our lives. Someone, someone once said, and they thought it was a noble, honest thing to say, I've got something in my life that, that I'm struggling with, so I'm just not going to partake of the Lord's Supper preacher. And that really wasn't noble, and that really wasn't a good, genuine thing at all, because the thing to do is to forsake it, to confess it, and to turn away from that sin and, and observe the Lord's broken body and His shed blood for us. A lot about that next week, though. But as we close, you know, you might think of the church here tonight as, you know, as all faithful members of the church and definitely children of God that know the Lord and are walking with the Lord. But, but what is your story between this one whose body was broken for you and whose blood was shed for you? What kind of dialect takes place? What, what kind of history is there? What do you share with this one? Is he your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know that his body was broken for you? That his blood was shed for you? Can you cast that to the side and just live for the things in the world? And, and is there anyone here that could actually just do that comfortably on their own and there's no conviction? Look, we have a good father. He's so good that he gave his son for us and he was broken for us. And the only cleansing agent for our sin, His blood, He shed for us. And He loves us. He loves us and He desires a relationship. So as we could think that everyone is, is getting ready for the Lord's Supper here tonight, somebody needs, somebody's needing to be getting ready for the Lord. Someone might need to be saved here tonight. And, and it's, it's our prayer that that as you consider this, you might trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your free gift. There's nothing between you and Him but, but your neglect or you hindering yourselves because Jesus' arms are wide open and He loves you and He died for you. And would you trust Him? Would you trust in the one whose body was broken for you? Is, is your story empty? Is there, from the, day, from the day you claim to your salvation to the day, what is there? What is there? Is there just the generality of, well, I'm alive. Well, I have life. Well, I haven't died in a car wreck. Well, I haven't got a disease. Is it a generality or have you walked through storms with your Lord? Do you know that He cares for you? Are you grateful? Are you constantly thankful that He has saved your soul. And there's nothing more important than that. And that guides you by conviction into who you're around, what you look at on your TV. I'm not getting legalistic. I'm just talking about a changed life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we follow Him, we follow the things of Him. He's changing us to, to love the things that He loves and hate the things that He hates. So what's your story with the Lord? Is it full? Or is it empty? What kind of soul searching do you have to do?
Well, there, there are some details. There are some details about the Lord's Supper as we're going to share it. Those are, those, that's what we believe. And those are things that, that we stand by and we stand on in the Word of God. And, and it's always a special time when we take the Lord's Supper. It's always a special time of, of sincere reflection, uh, a little more of a quiet time. And, and so for the next two weeks, may, may that be our heart's desire. that we, Because we can't put on a, a face of sincerity. It, it needs to happen in the heart. We can't drum it up and, and make it happen. But it's reflecting on our Lord and what He's done for us. And it's reflecting on, on what this ordinance means to us as we remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Rick, would you call?